Selling hopes like selling soap, son, I'll tell you why. You can't make either one without a little bit of lie. Selling hopes like selling soap, son, I'll tell you why. You can't make either one without a little bit of lie. Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. On today's episode, it's kind of a follow-up from our last minisode in which we talked about the book, What Does God Know and When Does He Know It? by Millard Erickson. Last time we went over his take, his response on the Genesis 6 passage. Today we're going to turn to 2 Kings 20. This is the Hezekiah incident. This is set up by Millard Erickson as such. In this passage, King Hezekiah is ill and anticipates dying. He reminds God of his past faithfulness to God, and God decides to increase his life by 15 years. This was a key passage leading Boyd to the open theist position. It seems clearly to represent a change in what God is going to do, because in verse 1, Hezekiah is told to prepare himself since he will not recover from the illness and will die. The original declaration would not have been made if God knew Hezekiah would cry out as he did. Compounding this problem, uh, this is my own commentary, is that you're adding years to someone's life. If their life is forever foreknown since time, eternity, how long they're going to live, all things considered, how do you add? How do you add to that life? It, you really can't. It turns the whole narrative into, again, a facade is what we tend to do these passage when we, when we try to systematize them, when we have our systematic theology over somewhere else. And uh, you need to do something with this text that you're making it like a cat and mouse game. And God's only condescending. God's only trying to teach Hezekiah something through prayer. The, the famous cry, oh, prayer changes us, not God. That's not a biblical concept. Absolutely not. Uh, the Bible throughout uh, only only has prayer changing God, not us. It's it's not like oh I prayed and, and now I learned something and uh, and I feel better. <laughs> Nothing like that. Prayer changes God in the Bible. But Miller Erickson has a problem with this passage, and let's see what his counter response is to Boyd's position. Here again, however, a feature of the narrative presents a problem for the open theist position. Bruce Ware in particular points out that Jehovah does not tell Hezekiah that he will extend his life. He is much more specific. His life will be extended by 15 years. Ware says, and this whole passage ends with this Ware quote. So this is Millard Erickson's argument. There's, there's no further Millard Erickson commentary. This is his argument why this is not an open theist text. Bruce Ware writes, Does it not seem a bit odd that this favorite text of the open theist, which purportedly demonstrates that God does not know the future and so changes his mind, when Hezekiah prays, also shows that God knows precisely and exactly how much longer Hezekiah will live on openness grounds? How could God know this? Over a 15-year time span, the contingencies are staggering, the number of future free will choices made by Hezekiah and by innumerable others that relate to Hezekiah's life and well-being, none of which God knows in the openness view, is enormous. So the open theist says there, there, there are serious problems with the classical view in this passage, such that uh, God's adding to someone's life. God says one thing and then does another. These are serious problems that fits the openness view of God changing his mind. What does Bruce Ware do and Millard Erickson by extension? Uh, they do a bait and switch. How dare you, sir? Yeah, you, yeah, I said it. No respect for a bait and switch. Give us credit. They do a whataboutism. They're like, well, what about this over here? How about you guys have a couple problems with the text as well? This is not, 
This is not even a very good uh, whataboutism. Like, for example, in open theism, people say, oh, you can never be assured of your salvation. But in their own views, in Calvinism, Matt Slick's daughter, his daughter turned from Calvinism to atheism, all right? So, so even them, they don't have a surety. Switching to the Calvinist view gains you nothing. Switching to the traditionalist view gains you nothing in the realm of security. So it's a problem both sides have. But in this case, in this passage, what we're dealing with is we point out certain features of the text, such as addition to someone's life. The, the problem that uh, the original statement that God made would have been a complete lie. And what do they do? Their whataboutism is, hey, how about this other feature of the text? And uh, you got a problem there too, so we'll just ignore ignore the things you say about the text, and we'll focus on this, you guys have a problem too, without even without even clearing it with an open theist, without ever saying, hey, hey, what about these features of the text? Um, what do you think about this? Uh, do you have a response to our argument? They leave our argument hanging, and they introduce a new argument. This is classic whataboutism. And of course, in cases of whataboutism, this is lazy argumentation, it's irrational argumentation. In cases of whataboutism, it takes a lot longer to respond to the whataboutism than it does to actually just neglect the whataboutism. But we're going to do that. We're going to take a look at this. And uh, Bruce Ware, his objection is, oh, those open theists, they can't, they can't say that uh, God actually knew he's adding 15 years to his life, Hezekiah's life. Really? Really? Huh? So let's lay out a list of responses. Uh, we'll start with number one, which I think is the most probable. Uh, if we could scroll back or forward in this book, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this Roy guy who's quoted by Millard Erickson. And Roy's big thing is statistics. I found all these verses and all these verses are are uh, against open theism and it's throughout the whole text and look at my number of texts. And so I, I actually got this guy's uh, work, his book, and to see what what the heck he's coming up with, where he's getting these numbers from. And number one, uh, guess what the number one it, proof text that he throws out is, you know, like the first in the list. Like if someone hits you with like 20 different verses, you're not going to turn to all of them. You're going to turn to the first one as a representative sample of how they categorize these verses, how they see these verses. And if that doesn't hold water, then none of them do. And so his first verse that uh, he picks out as evidence of God foreknowing the future is this. I have an article on God is Open responding to this guy, Stephen Roy, and I write this. Here's, here's his first proof text. Genesis 15, 13 through 14, the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain, for certain, that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possession. So this is his, his first proof text he lists as God definitely knowing the future. This proves all his omniscience things, even though that's a logical fallacy. Showing that God knows one event in the future or even a chain of events does not prove that he knows all things from all eternity into eternity, uh, ungenerated knowledge that's part of his being. No, that doesn't prove that at all. Uh, remember, uh, our friend Gregory Boyd was an open theist Calvinist for a while, thinking 
both that the future was open and that God controls all things. He just does it ad hoc as things arise and he plans out things. It doesn't mean all the future is set. You could be an open theist Calvinist. Uh, that is a workable model. But back to the verse. Uh, so we got a real big problem here. They'll be mistreated 400 years. Huh. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with this proof text that proves Roy in, in, in his uh, metaphysics. Uh, that means Roy, he, his metaphysics is true. His idea of omniscience is true. This is his proof text. The problem is this never happened. <laughs> the, 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 this 400 years never actually happened. The oppression of Israel in Egypt only started when Moses was a boy. That's when Israel's multiplying, the Pharaoh start oppressing, and that's uh, why he's put in the basket. You know, that's when the oppression starts. It, it only lasts for about 80 years. 80 years, he comes and liberates them. And on top of that, they're in Egypt for 430 years, according to Exodus 12. 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. Genesis 15, 13, his first proof text, what he does is he, he finds these predictions of the future and then he just assumes that they all came true. One example, one example of his proof text not coming true undermines his entire point. If you have one example of God not knowing the future, that means the future is open. God knowing the future, that's that's a pretty common occurrence. I know the future. I know I'm going to go to work tomorrow. 100% prediction rate on this program of things that I say I'm going to do. 100% prediction success. I'm not I'm not omniscient. And uh, I don't think uh, our friends here, Millard Erickson and this uh, Stephen Roy would say I'm omniscient. They just have weird standards. They're desperate for proof text. And so they're just going to grab anything. So they're going to even grab Things that do not materialize, such as being enslaved for 400 years, mistreated for 400 years. It's very specific time frame. There's a number of years there. Does not happen. And we find this throughout the Bible, actually. There's uh, the Babylon captivity. That doesn't occur. That doesn't occur in the time frame that's specified. Daniel 9.2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord, through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Huh. Huh. As Christine Hayes writes up above, uh, it's more like uh, 61 years. So often in the Bible, this is our first response to Bruce Ware's, oh, it's 15 years specifically, blah, 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 15 years. And and how can open theists deal with that? Our, our, first, our first response is, Often in the Bible, a number of years is given, and it's kind of like a vague, loose prophecy date. The prophecy generally happens according to the time frame, but uh, never exact, right? It never exactly happens on those dates exactly. Uh, and so it's pretty common to give approximations. You'll live for approximately 15 years and that that's okay. And uh, if he lives 14 years, he lives 16 years, he lives 20 years. Th those are okay date ranges. And if Hezekiah did live 16 years, Bruce Ware would find us uh, find some way Bruce Ware would find some way to dismiss it, to uh, consider it's like, oh, yeah, that fits with my theology. And he'd try to find some sort of way to claim it's 15 years or something like that. Oh, you have to count from this point to this point. And, and this is a year, and this is kind of half a year doesn't count. And the half year at the beginning and the half year at the end, does. He'll, he'd find some sort of way to make that jive with his theology. But in the Bible, 
often a date's given and it's just generally it's a general date that approximates second point <laughs> our second point loose prophecy a uh, vague prophecy points to open theism and here's here's gospel beyond belief and let's see what they say they give various categories of prophecy and the more vague a prophecy is the more likely open theism is true to understand premise one, I want to explain what I mean by the strength of prophecy. I contend that the strength of Bible prophecy as a whole depends on the strength of individual prophecies and the quality of such prophecies. Let us say, for sake of argument, that Jesus was born in a manger on the evening of March 31 to parents of Davidic lineage. If this is so, then the following predictions, let's say made in 500 BC, would be on the scale of weaker strength prophecies to stronger strength prophecies a king will be born that's the first level a king will be born in israel you see it's getting more specific a king will be born in bethlehem a king will be born in bethlehem in 37 to 4 bc a king will be born in bethlehem in 4 bc a skipping down a king named jesus will be born in bethlehem in 4 bc on the evening of march 31st skipping down a king named jesus will be born in a manger in bethlehem in 4 bc on the evening of march 31st to parents named joseph and mary and so the the more vague a prophecy is the stronger evidence that open theism is true because of all the futures all known from all eternity in minute detail you'd expect prophecy predictions to include a lot more detail they, they wouldn't be so vague it's like ah, oh, 400 years and then then actually it doesn't actually even materialize. It would be like 400 years and three days and five hours and this many people are going to leave. And, and that, that that's what you'd expect from a set future that's set in minute details rather than the vague prophecy predictions. Scrolling down, open theism provides a better model as for why the Bible prophecy would have a strength 2 or 3 and not a 9 and 10. If the future is open, then there is a lot of historical wiggle room that God gives freedom. Given this freedom and given God's unthwartable sovereign plans, then we wouldn't expect Bible prophecy to be much higher than 2 or 3. So Bruce Ware, uh, John the Baptist is prophesying that uh, God might kill all of Israel. Bruce Ware, he shows up. And uh, he's a low-level thinker. Uh, he's not a very smart man. And so he says, well, uh, you can't say that because then all the prophecies to Abraham are going to fail. Q-E-D. And then he runs away without a response because that's what these guys seem to do. It doesn't seem like Millard Erickson or Bruce Ware ever consulted anyone on their argument ever, ever, never never did it and so bruce ware is confronting john the baptist and john the baptist says uh, you viper uh who warned you of the raft to come you know god can raise up new children of abraham from these rocks because god is smarter than you god can deal with changing circumstances to ensure that his prophecy comes true right so God is smarter than Bruce Ware. Bruce Ware's not very smart. So it's not hard to do that, right? It's not hard to do that. He's that Pharisee thinking that if God killed all of Israel, then the prophecies would be kaput. There'd be nothing that God can do. Like, let's say Hezekiah does, like, die. Someone goes and stabs him. God can't raise him from the dead and give him the remaining balance. Or God can't protect him from those stab wounds. Uh, right? There's, there's so many things that God can do to make sure that 15 years comes true, Bruce Ware 
has such a low opinion of God, he thinks that if God doesn't control every minute detail, God cannot extend someone's life by 15 years. This is what Bruce Ware thinks about God. He thinks God is incompetent, incapable, and generally powerless. His view of God is on such a low level that God can't keep someone alive for 15 years. This is Bruce Ware's ideas about God. And then he passes off his low view of God as if it's an actual argument against people with a higher view of God who thinks maybe God can do things, right? God God can save people. That's that's something he can do. Not in Bruce Ware's theology. God is powerless, uh, weak. Uh, he has such a low opinion of God, Bruce Ware does. So let's rewind and go th again through our responses to Bruce Ware's whataboutism. Millard Erickson and his whataboutism, where they're like, oh, I understand your arguments here and here. Uh, let's ignore your arguments altogether, and let's uh, do a counterargument about a different issue over here. That's what they want to do. They want to do a whataboutism. Well, here, here's a, a descending list of reasons why or responses to your counterargument, which didn't address the original argument, so that's still outstanding. The, the one you didn't address, the one that you were specifically responding to that you forgot to respond to, uh, is here's some responses to your argument. Number one, dates always seem to be pretty flexible in the Bible, so it, which is completely against uh, Calvinism and total knowledge of all future events. You'd think those dates would be very specific. You don't, you don't think that they would be loose, round numbers that, uh, you know, that you know, seem like approximations more than definite numbers. This is, <laughs> this is a really good proof for open theism that the dates are not exact. Number two, the fact that the prophecy is itself vague and not very specific, that there's a lot of ways to get Hezekiah to that 15 years. Number three, God has power. God can protect Hezekiah. But what if he puts a shield on Hezekiah? What if he uh, stops any assassination attempts? What if he makes sure that Hezekiah doesn't get sick? Uh, that God can do stuff. God can actually protect Hezekiah. Uh, number four, that God can think of innovative ways that even Bruce Ware in his intellect can't think of in order to make this prophecy come true. And finally, the Bruce Ware position doesn't even care about the text. It doesn't even care about the 15 years. He'd find some way to dismiss it like he does all those other passages in which the time frames don't quite work out exactly as predicted. Right, he'd find some way to mitigate this, but suddenly it's a problem to the open theist. This is the this, this is what they like to do. Like open theists will say, "Yeah, God changed his mind in Nineveh because the people changed," and then then Bruce Ware types they'll say, "Well, yeah, because that's how God operates. God who says in Jeremiah he will change based on the conditions of the people." Yeah, so. That means any failed prophecy, you're going to claim Jeremiah 18, your view's unfalsifiable. He's presenting a, a position that's unfalsifiable in his views, and he thinks that uh, open theists aren't privy to that same privilege of it being unfalsifiable. But we don't need it to be unfalsifiable. I already listed out uh, several, several ways that God can fulfill this, or, or my preferred 
my preferred reading is, you know, these dates are flexible. These, these dates don't have to be exact, as we see throughout the biblical text. It's whataboutism. Bruce Ware, Millard Erickson actually ignore the open theist argument. They present an entirely different argument about the text. And do, what, what's that? Now, now you got two problems in the text. Is That doesn't solve anything. That doesn't do anything. This is not biblical scholarship. Anyways, thanks for listening. Put your comments down in the comments section or start a thread on God is open.